Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 257. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tom Maluli, along here with my co-host, Brendan Maluli. I think we, we actually want to talk uh, self-servingly about our beloved Mets today. Good topic, always. And plenty of content rich. Yeah, so we're going to start with a little story about the Mets that we promise has a point uh, as it pertains to your investments or your finances. So got to hang in there with this, though, because it does have a point. So we were talking the other day about how the Mets are going to have to make some decisions when a number of their players begin to return from the uh, disabled list or injured list, whatever they're calling it nowadays. But they're going to have too many players, uh, not enough positions to play them in, and we were just kicking around who should and should not receive playing time anymore. A player that we all agreed who should be on the chopping block is uh, Todd Frazier, a New Jersey local, so it hurts to uh, hate on the Todd father, as they call him sometimes. But based upon merit uh, and the other options that are going to be available to the team, it really seems like he's taking up a roster spot that could be better served by another player. But the Mets will not do that. They just won't do that. And it's a it's a real shame because while he did provide some value last year, I think if you just look at the surface level stats, I think he hit 16 home runs. He was hurt, of course, first time on the Mets, so first time on the disabled list. Frazier's been one of those guys where it's a strikeout or a home run. We we know the outcomes. It's uh, it's either or. There's usually nothing in between. So he's got a low batting average. Usually shows up to play every day. He's got those intangibles they always talk about. He's a great guy in the clubhouse. I'm not really sure what that means. But he does hit for power. He's well, a strong guy. The Mets knew what they were getting when they signed up for this guy. They gave him a two-year contract. but For $20 million. Right. And so that I think that that's the biggest point. It's not really about his production. I mean, you can compare him against the other options available. It seems like he'll be riding the pine, but they even have better options available to be the backup third right. baseman or first baseman uh, but they'll probably keep Todd Frazier on the roster because they owe him so much money the Wilpons the owners of the New York Mets seem to make moves based upon their fear of the tabloid pages in New York City I was really amazed I read this maybe a year ago that according to Jeff Wilpon that a good day in his world is defined as not only a Met win, but a Yankee loss. Right. Loser's mentality, for sure. They're, they are so concerned about optics. Back to the Todd Frazier question. If he's no longer the best player available to fill up a roster spot, they should be willing to just move on from him. Uh, and if no other team wants to make a deal for him, then they should cut him. And he'll probably end up on somebody else's team. He's not that bad. No. He'll end up on someone else's team with the Mets paying his salary for the rest of the year. But the, the Wilpons can't stomach the shame of throwing in the towel or admitting that there's not a spot for this guy in their roster. They, they cannot deal with that. What if we cut him and, God forbid, the Yankees pick him up? And then he hits, he goes on a hot hot streak for him, uh, for their team. Hey, it has happened before. I mean, Daryl Strawberry was brought in, hit home runs for the Yankees. Dwight Gooden came in, threw a no-hitter right. for the Yankees. Right. We're so, yeah, the, the fans and the ownership, though, are overly concerned with what-if scenarios when you can only make a, a roster decision based upon your team. And if somebody doesn't fit on your team and then they go somewhere else and do something different than what you expected them to do, then, then too bad. 
Yeah. There's, there is literally no way that you could plan for that. Right. And so short of being able to predict the future, you got to make decisions that make sense today. And I'm not so sure that optics or fear over what could happen next is, is a way to manage a roster. The winter before last, so a year and a half ago from the time we're recording this, the previous general manager had doled out $88 million of guaranteed contracts or guaranteed income in contracts. He signed Ioannis Cespedes to a deal. He signed Jay Bruce to a deal. He signed Todd Frazier to a deal. There were some other contracts that he gave as well. Not too many of these have, have really worked out. He wound up losing his job. But now the problem is they've got to move on from some of these players, and they just can't seem to pull the trigger. The new general manager, coincidentally, was the agent for a lot of these contracts that were signed. And so now he's in a really unique position in, hey, I brought this player to the Mets. We got a good contract for the player and on paper for the team but now we have to cut our losses. The situation has changed. That happens. It happens with investments. It happens with, the. you can consider these player contracts investments. Situations and conditions change over time. Players get injured. Things happen. There's another alternative out there. You have to keep your eyes open to this. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. So this leads to our segue how does all of this tie back into your investment portfolio? Uh, it could be investments in terms of things that you own in your account, or it can be types of investments that had an initial cost affiliated with them. But we're what we're talking about here are sunk costs. So things that have already occurred, we cannot change. They're in the past. You can't get that money back. No. Uh, all we can do is position ourselves for the future in the best way possible that makes sense for our situation right now. Here's a good example. How many times have you and I sat down with clients who own shares of the most obvious example I can think of right now, General Electric? We can't sell General Electric. I got these shares from my dad. He got them from his dad. We've owned this company stock for 44 years. We can't throw in the towel now. What do we do? I don't like to think of things in terms of the word can't. You can, you don't want to. So you either have to deal with the ramifications of that or get over it. Yeah, we also have had the next thing that clients will say in those kind of situations is, I bought this for the dividend because I know that I'm going to get 3%, 4%, whatever the yield is. And then the dividend gets reduced or the dividend gets eliminated. Right. Then what? I think you run across this more more so with individual companies because people adopt them as their pets or whatever and get and get attached to a company name or they use the company's products and therefore believe that it makes it a worthwhile investment. But what if you invested in a product like an annuity and it's a variable annuity, it's deferred 
this thing hasn't really worked out the way you thought it was going to, but there's a surrender charge attached to it, then what? That's a yeah. bigger decision. Well, it's not really because we're just talking about opportunity cost in both examples. And so if something is not what you thought it was when you signed up for it, whether we're talking about an individual company or a product, I think you not only have to consider, yes, there is some kind of a cost, whether it be you know, uh, a mental a mental cost in terms of giving away your pet stock or a monetary cost, like paying a surrender charge to get out of a bad product that you got into. There, there are costs involved, but there's also costs involved with leaving things as is, sticking with the status quo. Maybe tougher to quantify. It's not as black and white as here's a surrender charge, but you can you can try to quantify, all right, well, what if we leave things as they are I mean, what what would be the alternative and how could that work out? And it's tough to say when you're dealing with the markets and investments because nobody can predict what the alternatives will do over especially shorter periods of time into the future. But you, you can at least uh, think about things as they could potentially exist. One of the discussions that we have periodically with clients, what, new clients when they're transferring money in uh, for us to work with is... We talk about how the markets are moving. There's usually very little movement when the markets are doing well. But it seems like every once in a while, we'll have a client who will transfer in and the market will go straight down immediately after we bring their investments over to work with us. It's unfortunate, but it's also part of investing that you have to be in it long-term and ride through all of these down periods to get the long-term returns. I think, uh, I think too, back, back to a previous point, uh, to just bring back the Mets for a second, you talked about some of the bad contracts, quote-unquote bad, that the former GM gave out. None of them seemed bad at the time, and some of them have turned out to be bad because of injuries, which we could never have predicted. And so really tough to say. I would liken that to getting involved with a long-term investment plan. And then after one year, after results are not what you anticipated over a short time period saying like, this was a bad, this was a bad investment plan based upon 12 month returns or even right. two years or I don't know. I mean, I know yeah, that it, a year or two is an eternity to live through day to day, but when we're really, talking about investments, that's not, not the long term. It's not long it's at all. It's the very short term. So, so it's, to, it's tough to reconcile that. But I, I, I just wanted to tie that in again, because I think sometimes people, we're talking about sunk costs and people think they have a sunk cost on their hands because things haven't worked out right away. But but they really Not the don't. Case, they really so. don't. At the time that the Mets signed Todd Frazier, I think at least around here in the office, we were all mildly excited about that. I know I was. We gotta we gotta start writing, and <laughs> I think people should practice this too with their investments. Write write down your actual feelings in an unalterable format, like save it as a PDF or something, and write down your feelings when you're making investment decisions, or like when we'll do it when the Mets are signing new players, because then we can pull it back out when we're grumbling about how dumb of a decision it was to do and say, oh yeah, remember when we signed Todd Frazier and we were all really pumped about it? We were very optimistic, right. Oh, sounds and good. It fits for the roster today. All of the all of the great things that we said at that point in time. And now we're like, get this bum off our roster. I know. And you know, the worst part really about fair? it, it's not fair. Um, what made that one compound negatively 
almost immediately was before they even played a game about six weeks later, was it Milwaukee signed Mike Moustakis, who was arguably the best third baseman available in the market last winter. They signed it for a one-year deal for $7 million. Mm-hmm. And we're like, holy cow, we just committed to Todd Frazier for $20 million for two years. Mm-hmm. We look like an idiot, mm-hmm. you know, giving out those kind of contracts. We could have just waited and signed this other guy much, much better. Yeah, mon- Monday morning quarterback a bit. It's like making— Wait a minute. Monday, Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking is what makes the stock market. It's what just... makes investing. Yeah, Would you I, agree? I don't think that you should do it, but it definitely plays into it. It happens all the time. It's a terrible yeah. idea. It's like, well, if if I only put all of my money into Amazon back in 1998, I would be right. I would own an island today. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. You didn't. Yeah. F- for whatever whatever the reasons were, probably because you had no idea what Amazon was at that point in time. Right. And you won't be in an e-trade commercial. Right. So I I don't know. I I don't care for what takes like takes like that. Like, oh, we could have we could have had this guy. You can do that with like the NFL draft too. Ugh. You go back, go back ten years ago to the draft and find your favorite team. Look who they took, and if that player wasn't good, look at all of the really good players that went before them. Or, or the classic one like Tom Brady. All the players in the draft that uh, Tom Brady went in years ago. What, what round did he go in? I don't even remember. Late. It was like the sixth or seventh round or something. Right. I want to say. How many players went before that guy? Hundreds. But to go back now and be like, oh, we should have we should have taken Brady. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess every team passed on him more than once. Yeah. Same thing with I mean, right now, giant fans are kind of wringing their hands saying, who is this quarterback that they just drafted? And I don't even I don't even like the Giants. I'm a Jet fan for the record, but I would love to see this guy be good just because of all of the negative press that's been out there. Everyone everyone seems like. It just seems like everyone thinks it's a foregone conclusion that this guy stinks. He hasn't played a down of football yet. No. Let's let's wait until then to yeah. condemn the draft pick. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, also, I mean, and then people will change their tune and they'll be like, "I knew it." If if this guy is good, we should remember how much hate the Giants took for that uh, making that pick, and then call out all of the people who, after the fact, say, "I knew I knew when they took Dan Jones that he was going to be a great quarterback." Right. Really, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> All the people, all the same people who were saying the same things about Phil Sims when he was drafted. Moorhead State, what? Who's that guy? We don't even know him. Ken O'Brien for the Jets. You know, what? what is that? I mean, no one knew him. Uh, and they passed on some guy named Marino. So there, there are a million ways to be perpetually unhappy with your decisions, allowing sunk costs to impact your decision or uh, allowing optics what others might think or uh, feel about a decision you make i mean whether we're talking like we've interwoven here sports and investing uh i don't i don't think that those have a place in the decision making process although it is pretty much impossible to not think that way you've got to do your best to not allow that to creep into your decision making because it's not it doesn't help anybody to after the fact Play I'll go Monday morning quarterback with your investments. I'll or, go a, a step further and say that if you are the person who can block those kind of emotional feelings out of your decision-making process when it comes to investing, you will be a fluke because even the guys who run institutional money will still press that button based on emotion. Mm-hmm. I hate this position. I can't wait to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And they just want to move on. 
and do something else with this money because they feel it'll give them a better opportunity to close that door and move on to something else. Yeah. So, and sometimes it does, and sometimes, sometimes it, doesn't. it doesn't. I would say more often than not, it probably doesn't. Right. But uh, to close with a quote, I don't know if I can quote it because it's not word for word, but, but I know that Warren Buffett has always said that temperament beats IQ when it comes to investing. And that's, that's precisely what all of this conversation is about. Uh, no matter how you want to chop it up, I think that if you can at least control to some degree, no one is going to eradicate their emotions, but if you can improve upon the average person and their and their decision making based upon emotions if you can improve upon that a little bit you're going to be a lot you're going to be a lot better off for it well said okay with that we're going to wrap up episode 257 thanks again for tuning in and we will catch you on the next podcast <laughs>